entitled the message for this evening from demoniac to disciple and we're just going to see the lord jesus drastic intervention into into this man's life and it is it is actually quite amazing and what we see from from john reading from um, the matthew passage we see that matthew um, refers to two men whereas both mark and luke only refer to one guy so obviously there is no contradiction there. It's just that both Mark and Luke refer to one of the guys. Maybe just one of them um, actually responds to the gospel. And so, yeah, as I said, no, no contradiction. Just both Mark and Luke prefer to, to focus on one of the individuals and the way in which he responds. So let me read this passage to us. Luke chapter 8, and I'll be reading from verse 26. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasians, which is opposite Galilee. And when he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. And for a long time he had worn no clothes, and he would not stay in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into, the, into deserted places. What is your name? Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. And a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hills. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and they entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And when the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and they reported it to the town and in the countryside. And then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they found the man who had had the demons and who had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And meanwhile, the eyewitness reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. And then all the people of the Gerasian region asked him to leave them because they were gripped with great fear. And so getting into the boat, he returned. And the man whom the demons had departed, begged him earnestly to be with him. But he said to him, oh, sorry, but he sent him away and he said, go back to your home and tell all that what God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. And so that's the passage that we are having a look at this evening. And as you can see, it can be a little bit of a challenge, the passage, because it deals with the supernatural. And the reason why I say that it is a bit of a challenge is because, unfortunately, it is a subject that people don't really like to talk about, or they don't simply understand, or they like to ignore. And some just completely deny the existence of Satan and demons. And then you also get the people who take it to the extreme. And they have this very unhealthy obsession with Satan and as well as his league of demons. And there's also all the movies, as we know, out there, like The Exorcism, 
And then also you get Christian novels, um, like what Frank Peretti writes, um, Piercing the Darkness, or This Present Darkness. But they give us a very skewed idea of what the supernatural is actually all about. Now what we need to do is simply have a look at our text. Um, read it in its context, and as well as in its extended context, and also see the intended reason why Luke, Matthew, and Mark have included this in Scripture. Obviously in God's revealed plan of redemption. So that is what we're going to be doing this evening. So what we're going to do is we're not going to read any extra details into the passage, but rather cover all the specific details that Luke and as well as the other gospel writers have included. And so we'll make our observations, we'll try and make some applications, and then obviously try to avoid the many rabbit holes that we can end up venturing down. So let's get started. And so our first point for tonight is just simply the demoniac. Now, as what we have heard, um, all three gospel accounts put this event happening straight after the miracle of Jesus calming the storm. And so once again, Luke is in this process of giving eyewitness accounts of the things that Jesus did. These dramatic events, these miracles that validated and proved who he was. That he was in fact God who had come in the flesh and that he was in the process of revealing his divinity and as well as his plan of salvation. Now these recorded events, they are very important evidences because they provide the proof of Jesus' character and as well as his power. But most importantly, his ability to save. You see, Jesus can say, yes, that he is Savior, that he's come to seek and save the lost. But now he actually shows that he can actually do it. Um, in the account of Jesus calming the storm, um, he was there revealing himself, yes, as God, as creator, and the ultimate commander over his creation. Because who else can, at the sound of his voice, calm a hurricane? Or still the ocean. Only God can do that. Now in a passage of the demoniac, Jesus will show that he has the power and the authority over evil spirits, over the fallen angels. He has shown that even though there are these rebellious evil spirits out there, our God is still sovereign. And that he has come not only to expose the works of the devil, but he has also come to establish his kingdom. And to drive back the kingdom of Satan. To liberate those who are held in bondage. To set the prisoner free. That's why the Lord Jesus says in Mark chapter 3. He tells us that he has come to bind the strong man. Those verses says, if a kingdom divided against itself, then obviously that kingdom cannot stand. And here, the Pharisees were having an issue with, with Jesus. And they were saying it's by the power of Satan that he actually casts out these demons. But Jesus says... How can that be? Because if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But he's coming to an end. And so he says, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And that is what Jesus is in the process of doing, plundering the strong man's house. Remember back in Luke chapter 4, 
When Jesus was out in the wilderness and he has been tempted by Satan. And there he resists Satan. He stands firm on the truth of God's word. And so in doing so, he shows that he can both resist and defeat Satan. Which means then he can save us as well from Satan. So Jesus is in this process of disarming and binding the strong man. And his ultimate defeat, Satan's defeat, is going to come at the cross. Where Jesus will pay for all of the sins of the redeemed. And then Satan can no longer accuse us, because that's what Satan means, the accuser. He won't be able to accuse us of our sin. Why? Because Jesus has paid for all of them. Not only has he paid for them, but he's also clothed us then in his righteousness. He binds the strong men and he robs them. And so the counter the, demon, the uh, demoniac, this now foreshadows the ultimate end. Where there will be this final judgment of all the wicked, men and as, as well as fallen angels. And there will be the restoration and the renewal of all creation. And obviously then there will also be the glorification of you and I. As we will receive our new redeemed heavenly bodies. Now coming back to the narrative. Our passage tells us that they, the disciples, they then continue to sail to the other side of the lake. And the side of the lake that's that they were heading to was known to have this mixture of both Jews and Gentiles. And because of that, the Jews shunned them, shunned that side. Because, as I said, there was this mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And as we know, Jews are not supposed to mix with Gentiles. Not the side that you want to hang around on. And so they were there because of Jesus' instruction. Let's go to the other side. They've experienced the storm and now they are now on the side of the Gerasians. And because they've headed there under Jesus' instruction, I believe it also points towards another divinely appointed engagement. You know, just like the way in which he had this divinely appointed engagement with the widow of Nain, he arrives at just the right moment when they are burying her one and only son. And what does he do? He raises her. And this was a place kind of like out in the middle of nowhere. And also the divinely appointed engagement was them being out there being in the storm. They needed that storm just as much as what they needed the calm. God is in control of all things. And here, once again, we see in this remote, way out of the place destination that Jesus has an appointment with this demoniac. And then verse 26, And then they sailed to the country of the Gerasians, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, they met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in the house, but amongst the tombs. Now it's quite dramatic, isn't it? That as soon as Jesus' foot touched the shore, there comes this man out from the tombs and from the shrubs, stark naked. Covered in absolute filth, and his skin is laid with dirt that hasn't been washed off for a very long time, probably years. And his body is also filled with scars, scars and open wounds from all the self-inflicted harm. And as well as obviously from this rough environment, landscape that he's been living in. So not only does this Shocking demonic confrontation catch the disciples off guard because who wouldn't be caught off guard? You know, you just arrive in this bank and here comes this guy screaming at you out of nowhere. He's naked, he's nuts. But not only that, he is shrilling out 
these words as he falls at Jesus' feet. And he cries out, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. It's a terrifying situation. And also, it's quite ironic that the demon who is tormenting this man cries out to Jesus for Jesus not to torment him. Amazing, eh? But this poor man, he has been subjected to severe physical and as well as mental suffering. And the passage tells us that these demons would come upon him, they would seize him and cause him great torment. Verse 29, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven out by the demon into the desert. And Mark chapter 5 tells us that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This was a man who had become dehumanized. He was like a wild animal running around, being tormented and tormenting others. He was full of fear and causing fear in others. He would terrorize passerbys, as what we saw in that Matthew passage. And when he was bound, he would break the chains and the shackles, and no one could bind him. But more sadly, nobody could help him. Or want to help him. And so he was unloved. He was unwanted. He was uncontrollable. He was unapproachable. He was dangerous to himself and as well as to those around him. He was in constant pain, driven to the point where the torment had caused him to lose his mind. This man is in absolute misery. And as the scripture says, he is a lunatic. He is moonstruck. And the demons which are spiritual beings, they are relentless. They neither sleep nor grow weary. And they're also highly intelligent beings. And they are constantly at their mission. And that is to bring destruction to those who are made in the image of God. And that's mankind. Men or women are created in the image of God and are able to bring glory to God through their lives and their character. But Satan hates this. He hates God. And he hates anything that brings glory to God. And so he always seeks ways to distort and as well as to destroy God's image bearers. And that is what we see in this poor man. The demons had seized him, they had afflicted him, and they would not let him go. And so when we look at his situation, it is sad. But not only that, it is hopeless. But also in greater reality, it is the picture of mankind, sinful mankind. That is lost and bound in sin and on the path to destruction. And it brings us into our second point. And here I've just entitled the next point, The Drowning. Here we're looking at verses 33 to 33. Now as we know, as Jesus' foot touched that shoreline, and as this demoniac rushes at him, Jesus is not called off guard. He's not. He's not filled with fear or with panic like you and I would be. I would. <laughs> to be honest, I would. <laughs> Instead, he is filled with compassion and mercy. And in commanding authority, he speaks to this man, this man who is filled with demons. And he says there in that verse 30, Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. 
And here we just get a glimpse of this man's torment, don't we? His affliction. And it's quite chilling if we really had to think about it. This demon doesn't give his name. But rather alludes to the fact that there are many of them. Many of them in him. In fact, a, a Roman legion, which is the military term that is used here, was a force of soldiers that numbered 6,000 plus. 6,000 plus. And so this man is held hostage by numerous demons. There is this internal army of evil spirits that were relentless, they were unforgiving, they were merciless and powerful in their mission in tormenting him. But as this legion of demons glared at Jesus through this man's crazed eyes, they knew who was in their presence. They knew. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And even though they are rebellious, evil spirits, they are still subject to Jesus. The irony is that nobody could subdue this man. Nobody could subdue him. And they guarded him and they tried to chain him up. Once again, that verse 29. For many times it had seized him. And he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break them. He would break the bonds and he would be driven by the steam and out into the desert. The supernatural power. It's scary. But here we see him. The same man. Cowering at Jesus' feet. Pleading with him. This man could break the shackles and the chains that people had put on him. But you see, that wasn't his true imprisonment, was it? Jesus was here to show him what was causing his true bondage. And then obviously to liberate him. And to truly set him free. His bondage was not physical but rather spiritual, lost in his sin and bound to his master, bound to his father, he was the devil. So if we are not saved, then Satan is our father. And that is one of the things that Jesus was doing, isn't he? He was revealing the sinister as well as the evil works of Satan. All the stuff, if we can call it that, that is normally hidden and going on behind the scenes. Because if you think about it, it's only when Jesus comes on the scene that actually all this kind of stuff is actually exposed. The only times that we actually hear of evil spirits is maybe when Saul is being tormented and remember how he throws that spear at David and David had to play the harp and try and soothe him down a bit. The only other place that we get to hear about maybe Satan is with um, Job. But there are a few times. But now when Jesus comes onto the scene, he actually shows. Why? Because the king is here. And he's showing what really is going on. Yes, there is stuff that is actually hidden from our side. And so pretty much what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, then to stand firm. So Jesus is not only exposing Satan and his destructive mission, 
He is also revealing himself as the sovereign ruler over all. Even over the demons. Everything is subject to Jesus. Jesus is the true light of the world. Who has come to shed light in this darkness. And this is why the demons feared Jesus. Because he is their judge. He has in fact already passed his judgment on them. And so they wait for that day when Jesus will enact his final judgment on them and when they will be cast into the lake of fire. But in the meantime, they still work tirelessly to afflict and as well as to destroy those who bear the image of God. But God, in all of his wisdom and in his providence and in his sovereignty, he permits them to go about doing their bidding. But always, always limiting what they are allowed to do. Don't we see this in the life of Job? We do. They're limited in what they can do. And even though they run around doing their bidding, even though they intend to do evil and to cause harm, God, once again, in his providential power, can turn and use it for our good. We see that in the truth of what Joseph said. Remember to his brothers? He said, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. Even though their intention is evil, God can still use the affliction that they bring to use it for our good and for his glory. And so Jesus looking at this afflicted man, he does good. He does good. You know the amazing thing, and we're going to have to get into this in another sermon, because there was just so much to try and put into this. It doesn't tell us what this man did for him to actually be afflicted. I think it's just being part of this fallen world. Yes, there's a physical thing where we battle against sin, but the reality of this world too is that there is the demonic, and they are here to afflict. We suffer illness, we suffer sickness, we suffer the frailty of our body and we also suffer the affliction sometimes of the demonic. And so, yes, I said, Jesus looking at this afflicted man, he does good. Jesus shows what he can do against this horde of demons. Thousands of them. Just at the sound of his voice. He speaks and they must obey. And so what we see is that Jesus has unlimited, unimaginable power. He speaks and they must listen. And so they begged him not to command them to depart to the abyss. And now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them into those. And so he gave them permission. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus gave them permission, he just simply said, go. Go. And then the demons came out of the man and they entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down that steep bank into the lake and drowned. And so this event is, is not judgment on Gentile or even Jewish pig farmers. Because they weren't allowed to have pigs. <laughs> I don't think it's judgment on the farmer. But I do believe it is a visual demonstration of Jesus' power. And his coming judgment. Because first Jesus allows this to happen, happen as a visible proof of his delivering of this man. Of this demonic bondage. The demons depart and they go into the pigs. 
Jesus' power and his deliverance is, is this physical manifestation right in front of their eyes. And it's an undeniable, graphic, and a very terrifying thing that actually happens. And if you've ever heard a, a pig squeal before, especially when it's unfortunately getting slaughtered, it is a horrific thing to listen to. And you can imagine 2,000 pigs squealing, frantically rushing, drowning. It's traumatizing. Now, can you imagine those herdsmen? They had probably been drawn to this interaction. Maybe when they first of all heard Legion running towards Jesus, like, oh, what's going on? Is he going to attack them? What's going to happen? Maybe they were in earshot and started to hear a little bit of the conversation. It's kind of like, what? They asked him to go into our pigs. No, 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 not the pigs. And into the pigs they go. And then all of a sudden, their pigs just going absolutely berserk, squealing, and then running towards that, and then drowning in the lake. As I said, it's all quite terrifying, isn't it? So the demons exit the man, and I believe an evidence in Scripture is so that they depart. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes up and takes residence. A believer cannot be possessed. By evil spirits. We can be oppressed, yes, as what we're going to see in Paul just now. But where the Holy Spirit resides, evil cannot. No evil spirits. And so not only is he delivered from the the affliction and the bondage from these demons, he is saved by God's grace, saved by his mercy. What we also see is the destruction of these pigs. It reveals the desire of the demons, doesn't it? It shows you what they really want to do. And so that's why they destroy the pigs. They desire to torment and to destroy. That's what they wanted for this poor man. But obviously because of God's grace, they weren't permitted. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's their intent, to destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And we see that happening with this poor guy. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Also, I think the destruction of the pigs, which were animals that were deemed to be unclean by God. If you touched them or ate them, you were, you were rendered unclean and you actually weren't allowed them to participate in worship. You had to go and cleanse yourself. And I think obviously this is a foreshadowing of not only of God's eternal judgment on the demons as we see them run and being destroyed, but also of all of those who are unclean. People who are unclean. And when I say that who are the people who are unclean, I'm referring to people who haven't had their sin forgiven. People who haven't put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. People who haven't repented. And some obviously people who are still covered in their shame and their guilt. So the only way to avoid this judgment is to come and place oneself at the feet of Jesus and plead for his forgiveness. Plead for his mercy and his grace. And then to follow him. And that's what we see happening in the life of this demoniac. He's saved. We see the disciple. By the way, that's kind of like the area. You can just see maybe up there feeding up on the, on the hillside and then whoosh, plunging down into the sea of Galilee. Beautiful place, eh? 
Anyway, the disciple. And all we can say is, what a dramatic change, eh? What a dramatic change. From a demoniac to a disciple. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So this man, instead of running around like a crazy man, howling, crying out, cutting himself, naked, violent, hanging around the stench and the filth of rotting bodies, here we find this man sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's the posture of a disciple, isn't it? We see it in Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet. And it's quite probable that while the herdsman had run off to go and call the people from the town, which was probably a good couple of k's away, there was during this time that Jesus shared with this man who he was and what he has come to do. He also shared the gospel with him. And this man then put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. He's clothed. All of his sins have been washed away and his shame and guilt have been covered by Jesus' forgiveness and as well as Jesus' righteousness. And he's in his right mind. He's in his right mind. And this is the one that really sticks out for me. Because when we look at his condition beforehand, he is a classic candidate for someone suffering from what I guess what we would call in modern day terms mental illness. Not so. Someone running around naked, fascinated with the dead, unkempt, violent, howling, crying out, cutting himself, causing self-harm, fits of anger, loneliness, and I also presume depression. His behavior would have just been as, just as bizarre as King Nebuchadnezzar, being an animal for seven years. But through his encounter with Jesus, and through the power of Jesus' word, this man regains his right mind mind of self-control a regenerated mind a mind that now has a desire to pursue Christ to be with him and to serve him a truly liberated and a joyous mind a mind filled with gratitude a mind marked with clarity a mind fixed on Christ and on the right things it's a dramatic change as Paul writes to the Philippians, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Because imagine now the things that went through his mind, no longer tormented. But he is thinking about Jesus. That's who his mind now is fixed on. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, that's what his mind is fixed on. Jesus. The author and the perfecter of his mind. See, that is the power that Jesus has. That is what he can do. He has the ability to free, to liberate, and to restore the mind and the heart of anyone. We must never underestimate what Christ can do or who he can do it to, who he can do it for. 
He can restore anybody. And it's interesting to see that Jesus is able to deal with these afflictions, whether it is actual illness or even demon possession or demon oppression. And then he deals with it in the same way, through the liberating power of his word. I honestly believe that. Jesus says in John chapter 8, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Yes, they had been, by the way. <laughs> How is it that you say, You will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And for believers, the Lord can either free us from our affliction... He can. If He chooses to, if that is His will, He can free us from our affliction. Or He can cause us to be under our affliction. And yet still enable us to trust in Him and to give Him glory. Is that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, because of the amazing things that God allowed Paul to see and experience, he says, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, he was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to afflict me, to physically beat me, to keep me from exalting myself. And concerning this, I pleaded to the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Then listen to what Paul says. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You must have made the other amazing thing about this man, this demoniac, or now healed, is that he wanted to go with Jesus. Verse 38, And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him. Begged him. Wouldn't you want to go with Jesus? I would. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city, throughout the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. Through this one event. And with all that Jesus had done for him and told him, he went throughout this whole region simply sharing what Jesus had done for him. That's the whole area that he went. Probably happened on that shore throughout the Decapolis. Went out and he shared God's grace. Amazing, eh? Amazing. He went simply sharing what Jesus had done for him. And can you imagine if we all had that same motivation? You see, the person who is forgiven much also loves much and wants others to experience Jesus in their lives. Our final point in this is a quick one. How do the locals respond? How do they respond? How do the herdsmen <laughs> and the townsfolk, the Gerasians? Well, when they see this man sitting at Jesus' feet and all the people of the surrounding country, the Gerasians, asked him 
to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. They had a mega fear. They asked Jesus to leave. Because they were filled with a mega fear. How ironic. Hey? The man who had caused them fear, the demoniac, is now healed. But the one who healed him, Jesus, is now the one who causes them a mega fear. It's bizarre. But what is it about Jesus that causes them to have such a great fear? It's because of who Jesus is. You see, this is what happens when you're in the presence of a holy God, is it not? Instead of worshipping and submitting and humbling themselves, they ask Jesus to depart. Please go away. They tell him to go. And just as Jesus had told the demons to go, they tell Jesus to go. And it shows you where their hearts lie. Where their Lord peace is. And obviously this is just the, the damning power of sin, isn't it? Because sin blinds and it deceives and it hates the truth. It hates the light. It hates Christ. Instead of choosing what is good, instead there is rather a love and a desire for what is perverse. They choose their worldly desires rather than choosing Jesus. And the sad thing is, is that Jesus never returns to this area again. He never comes back here again. But in his grace, in his amazing grace, he sends this man, who was once a demonic, but who is now his disciple to proclaim how much Jesus has done for him in that same area. Hey? What amazing grace. Even though sinful man rejects Jesus, Jesus still always extends his hand of mercy. It's beautiful, isn't it? What a gracious God. What a patient God. How loving. How undeserving for those people to have this evangelist in their midst, continuously reminding them of what Jesus has actually done. I'm going to wrap it up there because there's a lot still more to say. Beautiful passage. Beautiful passage. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have come into this world, yes, to seek and save the lost, and you show us what you are capable of doing. Lord, there are so many people out there in bondage and inflicted in so many ways. And they hear, need to hear the power of your gospel. And just how often we underestimate the power of your words, the simplicity of your truth. Lord, it can take people out of absolute darkness into your wonderful light. Lord, help us to be bold ambassadors like this man who went out into these ten cities, Lord, and shared just this in simplicity of what you had done for him. Lord, may we have that same passion and burden and joy.
to share with others what you have done. Lord, you have, refre- you have freed us from the bondage that we were in. Help us to share your good news with others. And Lord, also just the beauty of what you can do. Lord, how you can install with us, with, install within us a right mind, a clear mind, a mind that loves the truth and that is filled with the truth and wants to share with others this incredible truth. You are the truth. You set people free. Thank you, Lord Jesus.